EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. All right, and welcome to episode 39 of EST. I am so glad you are here listening to us this week. My name is Josh King. As always, I am here and loving every minute of it. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You know, normally we give a shout out at the end of the show for a Twitter follower, but today I think I'd throw that right here at the beginning. I want to shout out uh, Daryl Crouch, who's a pastor in the Nashville area at a church called Green Hill Church. Thank you, Daryl, for listening. For the rest of you, if you're not yet following us on Twitter, we are on EST Church, and so thankful for those who do follow us. Continue to help us grow the show. Uh, share the links and uh, let your other pastor friends know about what we're covering. What we're covering today in episode 39 is systems of a healthy church. I'm joined today by two of my good friends. Um, first of all, our co-host today is uh, a guy who I love and respect, have loved for a long time. His name is Andrew Abear. He's a pastor in Amarillo, Texas. His name is or at a church named Paramount. Andrew, how are you today? Doing great, Josh. It's great to be with you. Yeah, we've had you on the show before, had rave reviews. Everybody said you were the most attractive of all of the guests we've ever had on the show. So. <laughs> that is so true. Somebody right. called me the fourth horseman. So the I, don't, fourth I, don't horseman. To, I don't know what to do, to do with that. Yeah, yeah, so... We all claim that we're very attractive. Since nobody can see us, we all just claim that. So that's the great thing about podcasting and radio. So glad that he is on. And what you'll notice if you're listening, longtime listener, maybe just listened last week, Sam and Mike are not on the show today. So in their absence, hey, I scheduled two other Texans to be on the show with me today. We're going to sit around and talk about how great our state is over other lesser states like Tennessee or Florida. Um, but that's probably not what we're going to do. My other friend, longtime friend, somebody I've looked up to for a very long time and respect is Russ Barksdale. He's the pastor of the church on Rush Creek in Arlington, Texas. Russ, how are you today? Hey, Josh. I'm doing great. Good to be with you. Yeah. So thank you both for being on the show today. And, and since you can't see me, that means that you don't know how old I am, right? They don't know how old you are. Okay, awesome. Okay. <laughs> I'm really just 36. 36. Um, Russ has been pastoring this church probably, well, I won't say what I was about to say there. Russ, how long have you pastored ah. Rush Creek? So I came in 1994, so that would be, uh, what, 23 years this October. 23 years, wow. Andrew I was, eight. was born in 94. <laughs> that's not true that's not true uh but well, I yeah pastoring when i was 12 you know so yeah, i mean right. they, they took me on when i was very young and you um so this is a revitalization not just an established church but you took um rush creek baptist church no right, right. so we uh we came in 94 um it was a sleepy little southern baptist church three hymns and a cloud of dust and um, it was an opportunity for us to kind of transition it into the 20th century first and then the 21st century yeah. uh, coming up. So 
we uh, we had a lot of a lot of um, goals to achieve, a lot of transitions to make. Um, along the way, when people were getting excited about the church, they said that uh, uh, they'd invite their friends, and their friends would say, uh, "Oh yeah, I'd love to come. Uh, where do you go to church?" And they'd say, "Rush Creek Baptist Church," and they'd say, "Oh, we don't do Baptist." And so. At that time in our community, there was just a lot of uh, angst toward Baptists, and so we just felt like it was getting in the way of the gospel. We uh, we took the name out, and um, still a Southern Baptist, and good to be one. Yeah, and so a lot of our listeners are Baptists. Um, many are not, so either way, it's really great. And so give us kind of a, a snapshot of Rush Creek now. Um, it's multi-campus, quite a large right. church. And, um, so you're not allowed to brag about that sort of thing. So I'll just ask you point blank. So you don't have to bring that out. How many campuses are you guys at now? We have five campuses. Our main campus is where I am. We launched, uh, um, satellite in 2004, uh, then merged with the church in 2011, merged with another church in 2000. Uh, 13, another one in 2016. They're all preaching points. They're not video venues. So we have a high value for team, uh, sermonic development together, leadership, corporate leadership, collaborative leadership. So it's all good. And what's the size of it? You know, people ask me that. We probably average about four to 4,500 a Sunday between the campuses, about 4,500 between the five campuses. Perfect. And um, for those of you who are listening, maybe just to get your mind around where Russ is serving, um, Dallas-Fort Worth, um, you know, you've probably heard of that before. Russ's church is on the southern side of Arlington, which you may not know where that is, but that's where the Rangers play. And anytime you watch Sunday night football with the Cowboys, that's the city that you're looking at there. It's not actually in Dallas. It's quite a ways outside of Dallas. but And Six Flags over Texas, yeah. Six Flags and Water Park and... University of Texas, Arlington. It's a cool town, really cool town. I like it a lot. Andrew, um, for those who are not familiar with you, uh, tell us a little bit about Paramount. Now, Andrew's over in the beautiful side of Texas where they, you know, it's so pretty they don't need trees. So what? tell us a little bit about your church there. I call it the big ugly, not our church, but uh, West Texas. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it actually has its own beauty, West Texas does. It takes a little while to, to learn to appreciate it, but we've got big skies and beautiful sunsets and all of those types of things. I pastor Paramount Baptist Church. Um, ours is an established church. The uh, I'm the fourth pastor in 59 years. So wow. it has a history of long tenured pastors. My two predecessors, the two immediate predecessors were here for 20 years, uh, over 20 years each. And so uh, there's a lot of stability in terms of pastoral leadership. Um, but our church, even though we're a large church where we have two campuses, we run about 11 or 1200 on uh, Sunday mornings. So we're, we're what I would consider a fairly large church. However, our church has been in a period of decline for about a decade, and so we're, we're kind of in that stage of uh, revitalization as well, and we're right in the middle of it. I think things are turning around, and God is doing a lot of great things here, some things that we're really excited about, but uh, this is this is, you know, sometimes when you think that you're at a large church, you think that the, the church doesn't have any problems or that the church is huh. healthy or has healthy systems. Huh. But sometimes that can be a smoke screen for what is actually the reality of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a period of decline. I think the church has recognized that and and things are turning and God is really doing some neat things here in the last few months. 
This is true. And uh, one of the things I've often said, I haven't pastored what would be considered a large church um, outside of Texas, but I have been on staff at those churches. And one of the things I've, I've said is it's so hard to convince large or growing churches when they're unhealthy because they're large and growing. And so, but there's a lot of reasons why, but you brought it up that um, sometimes it looks like they have healthy systems, but they don't always have healthy systems. That's the topic for today. Uh, pastor, you are transitioning out of the position of lead pastor there at Rush Creek. You're going to go into some consulting work and doing things. And unlike a lot of consultants, you've actually pastored and done it well. So that's going to be that's going to be an interesting take on the consulting thing. I'm interested to see how that's going. And you've developed sort of 16 um, systems that you believe a healthy church needs. And so why don't you break that down for us a little bit? Let us know about what those systems are you believe a healthy church needs. Yeah, so basically there are f- four um, four basic systems, and then those 16 systems fit inside to be subsystems. Um, and, and so kind of the setup is um, a, a church is not an organization, uh, and I fight this kind of corporate language and um, – influence of our um from the outside it doesn't mean though that a church it doesn't have organization meaning um your your body has 13 basic systems um you got a respiratory system digestive system uh, central nervous system and if one or more of those systems gets sick or is not functioning properly then you begin to get sick and if two or three of them start malfunctioning, you're in serious trouble. Um, So the church is the body of Christ. um, So I kind of draw that correlation um, that a church has to have healthy systems. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, so the the four basic systems are leadership development. Um, Everything rises and falls on leadership. And so a church better have um, a healthy system of leadership development. There's been a lot of talk lately about pipeline and you certainly have to have a process for developing leaders um we'll talk more about that in a little bit Uh, decision making uh what i've discovered is most uh church leaders don't know how to make um timely and wise decisions and uh they end up suffering because of it good people uh guys in the pastorate um they're smart uh, they they walk with the Lord, but sometimes they um, they don't have an acquired skill of of good decision making, and that gets them in trouble, gets their church in trouble. Um, so then, um, also in the in this major system of leadership development is the idea of soul care. Um, that is making sure that you are healthy because your church is only going to be as healthy as you're healthy. Um, and then learning to network, you know, none of us has all the information and knowledge about anything. And so learning how to be a, a learner and where to learn from that gives you great leverage for for proper leadership. So um, basic system number one is, is leadership development. Basic system number two is in a church is spiritual formation. And that's the idea of shaping a heart for God. You know, the folks that come to you, God's entrusted them to you and uh, developing systems so that you help shape their heart for him. Uh, and that would include prayer, um, corporate prayer, private prayer, leadership prayer, pastoral prayer, praying, the, the mm-hmm. effectiveness of a, of a pastor in his prayer life, 
spiritual maturation um, is another subsystem. Evangelism, uh, uh, fostering a heart for people who are far from God. Um, and then uh, very important to spiritual formation is community. I think, I think maybe uh, the 20th and 21st century with our rugged individualism, we think that maybe that spiritual formation is something we do on our own, but that's just not biblical. Um, and then finally, pastoral care is important. It's a part of caring for the body, and um, uh, it's a part of helping people uh, deal with the issues in their lives and, and grow spiritually. So mm. major system number one, leadership development. Major system number two is spiritual formation. The third major system, I think, is um, impactful weekends. I had a seminary professor um, a couple of hundred years ago that said, gentlemen, <laughs> Um, he said, uh, Sunday comes around with amazing regularity. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I've thought about that since then. Uh, there's just not anything like it. There's not another profession I know of where you just can't dodge a deadline. You can't put it off. You can't postpone it. you got to be ready. Not just you, but a couple hundred people, depending on the size of your of your church. And so impactful week, weekends, you want to make sure they're transformational. The subsystems there are how to have um, – uh, strong worship, um, life-changing worship, um, how to do age-graded ministries, how to make sure that you have connection going, uh, getting people from the street to the seat, and, and having a pleasant uh, experience. So uh, that's the third major system. And then the fourth major system is effective administration. And, and your administration, um, <clears throat> I happen to work with a great team right now, and I've had the, them for a number of years now. I've had long tenured staff members. I've got probably three staff members now out of my 55 that have been with me um, right at 15 years, another five or six that have been with me uh, 10 years or more. And uh, uh, a lot of them are in the administrative side of it. And I really believe that effective administration is just setting up ministries for success. And uh, so if for that a system to be healthy. Uh, you got to talk about stewardship. You got to talk about facilities. You got to talk about scheduling. You got to talk about communication. And um, if if those subsystems aren't working well, then then your church isn't really hitting on all all cylinders. So that's kind of the broad overview. Okay. Well, you said one of the things that I'm I'm curious about is the fact that you said uh, timely decisions. Why is that important in a in a church matter, because I think we're, we're dealing with a lot of people that are listening. Maybe they're at smaller churches, and I think that that's a common frustration for them. Not too long ago, we were doing a renovation project here. The guy who was doing some of the flooring and paint and stuff, he stopped by, and they came and said, hey, they need to know what tiles we're going to do in there, the, the, the kickboard, what color we're going to do the paint. And I walked up there and opened all the books, and I said, that one, that one, and that one. And the guy's huh. like, are you serious? I've never seen a church. I thought this was going to take weeks. And I was like, no, those three. And that's what we picked, and we went with it. You've been listening to EST, a conversation about the established church, with our hosts, Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We'll be back shortly after a brief message from our sponsors. Hey, this is Josh. I wanted to take a few moments just to talk to you about one of our EST sponsors, Trained Up. As a pastor, you know that you need to train your volunteers. You also know that that is one of the hardest things possible to do. Trying to get their schedules in order, trying to get everybody to show up, planning and organizing the whole thing can take a lot of your pastoring time away from you. 
With this resource trained up has not only cut the amount of training meetings in half, it's also significantly increased participation by up to 40%. And that's a win for everybody. Not to mention that Trained Up already has courses built in with just about every ministry area you can think of. So even if you don't know what to cover, they've got you covered. And now for a limited time only, Trained Up is offering a 50% discount on their multi-ministry package for two years. Go to trainedup.org to get started today. Thank you to our sponsors who help further the mission of EST. If you'd like to partner with us and have us spotlight your ministry, go to estchurch.com for more information. Now, let's get back to the show. Why is that important to have, you know, timely decisions? Well, you know, when you said that, it brings up a, when I was at a, my former church in Mississippi, um, I really didn't have much authority to make decisions. And so everything had to go through a group of, of guys and um, it wasn't very effective. It wasn't timely. There was a lady who had uh, on Sunday night had tripped over a parking median. Uh, and unfortunately she didn't break anything, but she scuffed herself up pretty good, busted her, um, got a black eye and bloody nose. And so uh, we met uh, the next week with this group of guys to these deacons to, uh, get a um, a light pole in because it was dark at this particular point. We talked about it for an hour and couldn't decide on what to do. And then so we put it off for another month until the next meeting. And we talked 45 minutes and still didn't decide what to do. <laughs> so after that meeting, I just the next day, I called up the power company and had them come put it <laughs> at the spot. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever been surfing, but um, um, it's not as easy as it looks. And when you're surfing, um, the wave is coming and you've got to plan to get your, your body and your board in front of that wave. If you're too early, it goes over you. If you're too late, it goes under you. And, uh, decision-making is that way. And, uh, the larger the organism is, the church is, the more complex it can become and it can become burdensome, um, this involves change management, you know, the timing aspect of it involves change management. So uh, are you leading your leaders to uh, embrace this? And is it is the information being disseminating down through the body so that it gives the leader the best chance for success in that? So um, I have found that most churches don't have a good decision making process. They don't have constitutional clarity and simplicity as to who actually is can make what decisions when mm-hmm. um, they don't have operational clarity and simplicity that means they don't line up their staff their help their leadership in a way that processes information and gives good quick decisions um, you want to push as many decisions down as you can so at rush creek we have developed an authority and responsibility matrix down the left hand side is every decision a church would make um, and across the top is um, uh, who has the authority and responsibility to make that decision. This is a tool that's used in a lot of corporations. One of our uh, trustees was a, a COO and CFO of a couple of multinational, multi-billion dollar cor- corporations, and he showed us how to do it. And so um, it just is so beautiful. It just allows it allows us to make decisions in a timely way and so that the people have the most information can make them. There are some decisions that can be made by team leaders uh, and then some decisions that can all be made by the church at the other end on the top there. But um, all that to say is decision making, the timeliness of it, uh, how it impacts people, the resistance, learning how to 
deal with resistance and time change management. Yeah, all that stuff is is uh, full of alligators. It's a swamp, and uh, many so a good. Are you saying to drain the swamp? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. So, um, I'm for it. I'm for it. Andrew? Yeah, Russ, a follow up question on that. You know, I've pastored churches uh, from 20 people, you know, to the church that I'm currently pastoring, and it seems like in the smaller churches, the members wanted to have more input and more of a voice in the decision making process. Have you found in your ministry that the larger the church grows, or the more staff you have, that in in simplifying that decision making process, that the weight of of the decisions tends to lead more to pastoral or staff leadership and away from congregational input, or how do you find that balance? I do think that that, I think in terms of experience observation, that's true. The smaller the church, the the system we used to have 50 years ago when, uh, you know, it was, we were more rural, smaller churches. I mean, a, a large church 50 years ago was 250 people, 300. And so people, uh, you determined people's buy-in in the system if they showed up to business meeting. And uh, so you had these regular business meetings. And I remember when I came to Rush Creek, we spent, we were going to buy a people mover. Um, and I won't get into why, why we were doing that. But um, so we had had it formed a committee. This is when we still had committees. Uh, we don't have committees anymore. We just have teams. But um, the committee had spent like three months figuring out, you know, what size engine and what color and all this kind of stuff. So we took it for the business meeting and, and we kicked it around 45 minutes at least. And somebody said, well, did, did you check the next size uh, engine or what was the gas mileage on this stuff? And it was just like, I just would rather you poke my eyes out with an ice pick. Um, you, you, have to, you have to empower the right people. Uh, people closest to the decision and have the information, you have to empower them to make the decision. And I think in larger churches, that tendency is for that to be done easier because many times um, uh, they, they they get that. And the churches that are large uh, still have – churches don't get large anymore with cumbersome decision-making. They just don't. Mm. And there may be some larger churches that started out that way and they've been able to maintain a semblance of it. But um, gone are the days of every member, I think, should be, uh, they should be gone on the days of every member feeling like they should have input on every decision. It's just not, it's not wise. It's not prudent. And that, the other end, I see, so used to you judge the effectiveness of what's going on and people's contentment by if they showed up at, at business meeting. Well, now it's just the opposite, isn't it? If you have a bit, at least in my place, if, if we have a, an annual business meeting, and sometimes we, we have business meetings to, to uh, vote on things and discuss things that, that were not kind of planned. But right, uh, right now, it's just once a year. And so that's when we talk about budget. That's when we uh, vote on the budget and, and uh, our trustees. And so it used to, if a lot of people showed up, it was a good thing. Now, if a lot of people show up, it's a bad thing. And uh, it means that people, you haven't communicated Somebody's well. they got something. some serious doubts. And yeah. so, yeah, you stop that. Speaking of, of you know, decision-making, one of the other systems you mentioned, effective administration, you talked about the importance of communication. Once a decision has been made, how have you found is the best way to communicate that to the various uh, groups in the church and to the church as a whole? Yeah, and so that kind of gets to that subsystem of communication. Um, and um, and the larger a church gets, the most the more difficult that becomes. Um, and so um, 
the authority and responsibility matrix we work with, um, um, they're, they're just five areas that the, the entire church votes on. But if, and so we offer fa- times for family forms for there to be a presentation and, you know, come ask questions, that kind of thing. Most of our information gets passed down kind of in a, um, organic manner, manner, um, down through our leadership and our, in our, um, staff. They have their leaders that they talk things through, uh, they talk with, they, we, we push this down organically, um, as often as we can and not do as much from the stage or email or those kinds of things. And so, um, having, having, um, that organic, um, feel in your small group ministry, uh, where you can, uh, push information down through them is, is really valuable. What would you guys say? So if we've got a listener and they're thinking about, we've been talking a lot about decision-making here, but the other system that you've made there, they're just, what would you say? How do you start? Do I kind of, do I hire a consultant or I just start listing out all the things that we do poorly? And how do I know what the, what would you say the number one start is mm-hmm. for a person trying to lead a church back to health? So that's that's always the thing. I, I really believe that that leading a church is is so difficult nowadays. It's a little bit. You, you see these planes occasionally where they just they just drop out of the sky, and what happens is the pilot gets uh, he gets distracted or something. And um, all that to say is that a plane. Um, you make a few wrong moves at the wrong time in a plane, it'll crash. And the same thing in a church. Um, and so, um, uh, what ends up happening is guys that know something's not right. They can look at the facts. They look at the data, not growing. They can see there's unrest in the body. They look at the array of options they have. You know, my, my worship's not right. My connection's not right. My decision-making's not right. And, and so they get paralyzed. I don't know if you've read the four D's of execution by Chris McChesney, but he talks about when, when, uh, corporations have goals, if they have one to three goals, they typically will accomplish two. If they have three to 10 goals, they they effectively will accomplish one. And if they have more than 10, they don't accomplish anything. Hmm. And so there is this, there's this, what happens with a guy is, uh, particularly if he's, he's doesn't have good supporting staff or leadership around him. He looks at this array of 15 or 25 things that he needs to be doing. And so he just doesn't do anything. So there's a tool to use as uh, one of many tools It's called the four helpful list. You uh, write down what's what's working, what's not working, what's confusing, and what's missing. And you just go through all the stuff. And then as a result of that and some other follow-up questions, you arrive at some next steps to take. You can only take two or three next steps at a time. Hmm. Wow, that is, that's, that's some great stuff there. That's helpful. Um, Russ, how do you, at Rush Creek, how do you oversee those four major areas or systems of church health? Do you have a staff member for each one? Do you personally oversee all of those? And particularly thinking about a pastor, say, of a, a church of 150 who maybe doesn't have a large staff, how how can they begin to get a, a handle over just maybe not all 16 or 20 of these right. sub points, but some of the major categories in terms of, of providing oversight and leadership to those areas without letting things fall through the cracks? Right. And so... Um, 
I, I think that a church has to have some degree of functionality in all 16 of these, even, you know, finances, you got to have somebody that takes up the offering and counts it, you know, I mean, even if that's, it's a basic function, but you got to do that. Um, so being aware of what these are is important. Um, but then, um, um, the areas that you feel are most, um, necessary for you to impact to give us the great amount of, of leverage. Those are the ones that he should get after and praying for, hopefully he's got somebody in his church who has some level of expertise or passion about that. And so if one of the areas is, uh, one of the areas is, uh, you know, um, impactful weekends, um, just, so we're going to, we're going to develop, we're going to spend this next year working on our weekends and, and, what would make for a great weekend experience? You know, is it going to be, you got to do worship, right? Where, where are we not right in our worship or our age graded stuff? Where are we not right? Um, again, I, he's got to focus because no church is perfect. If you looked, if you took a stethoscope and put it on the heart of Rush Creek, you'd, you'd see that there are a number of systems that are just subsystems that are just struggling a little bit right now. So, um, He's got everything rises and falls in leadership. He's got to find leadership. He's got to decide what one or two things can I do that will give me the most impact and then find leadership. Somebody in the church who can come alongside and help him as the, as the enterprise grows, grows, as it grows, (laughs) um, you know, he can add, he can add people into that. Um, but, but getting, trying to get too much done too quickly, uh, is, is gonna, is gonna kill him. Russ, that um, the information that you've been sharing here, obviously there's just a wealth of it. It's hard to cover in 30 minutes, all of these things, and that's why you know great resources, books, and consultants are, are a tool that we highly recommend on EST. Russ, if somebody, uh, if there's a pastor listening along and they wanted to kind of chat with you a little further, how might they connect with you offline? Um, so um, I've got uh, a website called nextlevelleadership.org. Um, and they could check that out. They can email me at Russ, Russ at nextlevelleadership.org. And uh, we'd love love to respond to them. All right, perfect, man. We we do appreciate you so much. Andrew, you got any final thoughts there? Can I can I ask one more question? This is maybe more of a personal question. Sure. Uh, I think that a lot of pastors who are listening w- will face or identify with, Russ, when Rush Creek was not healthy, and you were going through the personal discouragement uh, periods, valleys, frustrations in periods of unhealth. Uh, what helped get you through those times? You know, so this is the part B of, of what I love doing is I think churches and pastors and leaders have to become um, very acute problem solvers. And one of the problems, and there's 11 major problems that we deal with pretty regularly as pastors and leaders, and one of them is discouragement. And uh, I've had periods where I quit every day Um, and I uh, we're at the end of this program, so I I won't go into them. But um, I mean, long seasons of gloom and frustration and depression, discouragement. And uh, I know it sounds trite, but I just kept calling out and at times crying out to the Lord, stuck my nose even more into the Psalms. I had a, a couple of safe friends. I think that's critical in church work. I had a couple of safe friends that I could I could talk to and whine to and cuss to and <laughs> all those things to get through to get through and uh, just hold on. I, you know, I'm 66 this month. Been doing this a long time, and I would have quit a zillion times. The one 
the one characteristic that God has put in me developed through these decades now is just um, endurance. I just won't. Ultimately, even though I want to and I threaten to and I feel like I should, ultimately, I just won't let go. I won't quit. And uh, I think I think that has, you know, served me really well by God's grace. Thank you so much. I wish we had six hours with you. Yeah. Thank you. We're going to need a lot more time. Thank you, Russ, for being on the show. Thank you, Andrew. Both of you are guys that have talked to me off the ledge and and staying and putting and doing what we're doing. That's episode 39. I want to encourage our listeners to to make sure to tune back in next week. Download us, subscribe, iTunes, Podcatcher, whatever place it is that you find the show. We're going to be talking about vision casting, how to set a vision, how to follow through with that vision, leak that vision out, some of the stuff that Russ talked about today. But I do want to encourage you to check out Russ at nextlevelleadership.org. Great review. Follow us on iTunes, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.